All right, I've got to address something because I might have spread some fake news. Might have panicked a little bit. Just a wee bit. I spread some fake news earlier today. I do apologize about that, but I'm going to lay out the case of what I actually think went on because some shenanigans happened on this station, and I don't know what it was. I have some theories, but there was something that happened during the Dan Bongino show. We'll talk about that here in a minute. First, I got to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. So here I am. Minding my own business. I get done with the early show. I got the kid with me. Come downstairs, sit down, get her all set up in, in her spot so she can do whatever she wants to do. And I'm listening to Dan Bongino, which I don't usually do. <clears throat> and I'm listening to it. And Dan Bongino has a guest. Now, her name is Amber Athy. Okay. Now, she is a radio host, uh, formerly of WMAL, okay, which is a big radio station. And so she's not been on WMAL for quite some time. And as a result, he had her on, he was talking about it. And she says, well, they fired me. Now, WMAL is a cumulus station. Dan Bongino's radio show is syndicated through the cumulus enterprise. Through Westwood one, but it's a cumulus product. So I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go. Dan Bongino's already got a battle with Cumulus about vaccine mandates. Remember that whole fiasco where he went off the air basically for what, just like two weeks? Maybe it three weeks? Something like that. And they're just playing reruns. So he has Amber on, and he's talking with Amber, and she's explaining what happened. She, and she wrote a whole article about this uh, over at The Spectator. I was fired for a joke about Kamala Harris's outfit. And she told the story of what had happened. Uh, she made a UPS joke and, and everything else. And then, of course, naturally, there's like two or three people who said, well, that's racist because UPS, uh, again, their whole old logo, you know, go brown and that sort of thing. Kamala Harris is, you know, all sorts of 40 different races that she alleges to be at any one point in time. And so she cracked the joke as everybody's cracking the joke at Kamala Harris's uh, ridiculous outfit that day. And. They they caved and they fired her. And so she went on Dan Bongino's show and she kind of told everybody what happened. <clears throat> and so at that point, Dan Bongino's like, well, we're going to have you on on a regular basis. So you'll be on here, uh, you know, every every two weeks or something like that. That's OK. And then you'll be on WMAL anyway, because we're on 300 plus stations, you know, cumulus stations and everything else. And so even though you're not on there anymore, you will be on WMAL again if you're on this show. <clears throat> It was like right after that, folks. I kid you not. I kid you not. That show went dead air for seven seconds. It went dead air for like seven seconds. Maybe it was a little bit less than that. It felt like seven seconds. I don't know why. That's the number. Felt like seven seconds. And it came back on. Dan Bongino's show came back on. Do you know what it, uh, you know what it was, Josh? An old interview with Matt Walsh, not Amber. I bust out my phone. I go Facebook Live. I'm like, look, I don't know if I'm, I'm witnessing history here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'll let you all know. MNC got nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with us. Not affiliated with Cumulus at all. But there's a part of me that was like, look, I, I, don't, I don't know what is going on here. But the moment he has a, a, a radio host that's just been fired by a Cumulus station, he's syndicated through Cumulus. He's on a bunch of Cumulus stations, and he says, I'm going to put you back at a Cumulus station, whether they like it or not. 
And he says, if they want to fire me, then so be it. And that that show went dead for several seconds and then comes back to a Matt Walsh interview, which is an old show. All I could think of, all I could think of was they just fired him. That's all I could think of. Now, there's a couple of ways that you get fired in this business. One of the ways you get fired in this business when you say something on the air is your show just goes off of the air and they play something else and you are kicked out of the building and that's just kind of how it works. I've seen it happen before. It's not pleasant. So that that's kind of what I was thinking was going on. <laughs> I'm listening to this and I'm going, uh-oh, he's already in a battle with Cumulus. He brought that up in this interview. He's got this other radio host. He's talking about other radio hosts are backing Amber and radio hosts are backing Amber. Let's be honest. She didn't do anything wrong. And so now I'm, I'm just, there's this dead air. So I go Facebook live. I'm like, please tell me I'm not the only one that just heard this. And so I explaining the situation to everybody. And, and then sure in the middle of the Facebook live, the Matt Walsh interview goes away and the interview, the current interview with Amber comes back on. I had a listener point that out. I had the volume turned down. And so uh, apparently Dan Bongino said he doesn't know what happened. There's a couple of people who think that Dan Bongino did that himself. I don't think that he did. Um, it, you can do that, but there's more involved than just, you know, doing it. Um, but at the same time, maybe that was Cumulus's way of warning him. But it was just too much of a coincidence for it to have not been intentional by whoever did it. So whether it was on the Cumulus side or it was on the Bongino side, I don't know. But holy smokes, I thought something was going down right there. And I didn't know what was happening. But they came back. Amber was back in the middle of the interview. They finished out the interview. He said he didn't know what actually Dan said. He didn't really know what happened, uh, but it was, it was still a weird moment. And, but it was so fast folks. If you weren't listening at that exact second, you would have never known what had happened because you would have just turned it on and it would have been Dan Bongino talking to Matt Walsh and it wouldn't have been a big deal. Um, he, he gave a great interview with Matt Walsh. who has got this, you know, new documentary, new book coming out. So, uh, it, you wouldn't have known any better unless you were listening at exactly that specific 10 to 15 second marker. That's the only way you would have known. And I just happened to have been listening for like two minutes. Somehow I picked up on it. I don't know. But I don't know if you're going to hear anything about it in the next coming cu- couple of days. So I'm just letting you know something happened today. It has nothing to do with us as a radio station. We're not affiliated with Cumulus. It has nothing to do with any of that because there was speculation last time that we had some power over the Dan Bongino situation. We don't, okay? We're not a Fox Radio affiliate. We're not a Cumulus affiliate. That's, you know, we're, we're news partners and that sort of thing. Um, so we're not employed by them. We're not a part of their network. So if anything does come out, we're just letting you know. It has nothing to do with us. I'm letting you know. It has nothing to do with us. And I don't know what happened. So maybe we'll find something out in the next day or so. I would assume that there would be some kind of a, a post about this at some point, just you know, either clarifying that it really was a technical glitch, which happened at the exact perfect time for a technical glitch to be misinterpreted, or somebody was sending a message to the Bongino show that, hey, we're not going to play this game anymore. You're going to fall in line, that sort of thing. So we'll see. We'll see what, what ended up happening. If it was nothing, it ends up being nothing, but I wanted to address it because I still have people seeing the video and commenting on the video on Facebook and asking for further details and that sort of stuff. I, I don't have any further details, but it was just a very, very strange situation that happened in this, this afternoon, very weird moment in time. It's just very, very weird. So 
Like I said, that's the reason I did the video. I just hopped on live just to let everybody know what's going on. I hate some breaking news of Dan Bongino, but it ended up not being anything, okay? So we'll learn more later. If we do, we'll pass it on. All right, got a lot to talk about today. Um, we've got to talk about Pete Buttigieg. We've got to, we've got to talk about uh, a little bit about Ukraine. We've got to talk about the latest discovery in the fake FBI Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot. And this one's really egregious. We'll talk about all of that stuff coming up on this show. Make sure you go online, rumble.com slash Casey, the host at C-A-S-E-Y rumble.com slash Casey, the host, watch the live stream. More coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Just had a uh, weird, I'm going to blame my kid. Just had a weird power surge on my laptop, and it has jacked up my my webcam situation. So you are now looking, you're now looking at me from the, uh, the webcam that is built into my laptop. So, yeah, the live stream is going to look uh, really horrible. So <laughs> sorry about that. Just going to have to deal with it, I guess. I'm going to assume that it was because we plugged uh, the phone in to charge it, but that's, don't know. All right, what do we got here? Well, let's let's go over this FBI situation because this is, once again, just something else that developed with the FBI and the Whitmer kidnapping plot, and I want you to pay very close attention to this. Julie Kelly has discovered something very unusual in this case. So she tweeted out, she is doing a little prep work in advance of the verdict in the Whitmer's, quote, kidnapping case. And she used it in quotations properly. And something I just noticed, defendants were arrested on October 7th and 8th of 2020. Now, that is very important. The grand jury indictment was not issued until December 16th of 2020. So they were arrested in October but it wasn't until December, the middle of December, where the grand jury indictments were actually issued. Now, that is past the 30-day window, which is required for criminal cases, uh, with federal criminal cases. And she asks a very good question. This is something that's been made about the January 6th fiasco, too, by the way. So, why, why did this happen well beyond the 30-day requirement for a federal criminal case? It's a great question. Prosecutors said that they needed to arrest the men before the election day because the defendants planned to kidnap, air quote, kidnap Whitmer before November 3rd. And if you've been following this, this case at all, you know that they weren't planning on kidnapping anybody. This is all an FBI plot, okay? So the Department of Justice says because of the imminent nature of the threat, law enforcement was obligated to arrest the subjects before this evidence could be processed. Huh. But this is this is where things come in. But so that's the Department of Justice's justification <clears throat> for not adhering to the 30-day rule as required by federal law. However, no evidence at this trial, remember she's preparing for the verdict here. No evidence was presented at the trial to support this claim by the Department of Justice, which was used to justify 
not not doing the grand jury indictment within 30 days as they're required. So since they didn't pre- present any of that evidence, aside from a couple of text messages with, um, you know, concerned about Whitmer possibly getting a cabinet position, the reason why the FBI arrested the men before Election Day was to dirty up Trump while Americans were voting in 2020. He was blamed for stoking the plot. That's what Julie Kelly says. And honestly, everything about this case, every time that you look at the case, you'll get the evidence, everything about it from the FBI handlers and everything was purely about pushing this before the election so that way it could be blamed on Trump. And do you remember me talking about this at the time, looking around and going, why is Whitmer on TV every single day giving a press conference about this and blaming Trump but offering no additional information or relevant storylines or anything to this case? It was just one of those things where it's like every day at, you know, one o'clock, whatever, you just go out there and you just say, hey, just a reminder that Trump tried to kidnap me. And then you go away. Hmm. Let's see. What do we have here? Uh, Julie Kelly also wrote both Biden and Whitmer seized on the arrest. Whitmer gave numerous TV interviews portraying herself as a victim of Trump's alleged alliance with the militia groups. And of course, none of these guys were Trump supporters. None that we're aware of anyway. All of the ones who openly have spoken about their politics hated Trump. Blue check cited Trump's liberal Michigan tweet as a call to action for the kidnappers. But oops, Julie Kelly writes, here's the 2020 testimony by the special agent in charge about that tweet. This was straight up election interference once again by the FBI. If, if defendants are found not guilty by way of FBI entrapment, this must be thoroughly investigated by the GOP House next year. Of course, she's assuming that they will uh, win the House next year. This is this is a new thing that I, I was not aware of. And maybe somebody else out there who has been following the case closer than me was aware of this. But um, this is still that 30 day thing is something that's being used a lot in the January 6th cases. But again, the, the FBI, you know, they they gave testimony on this. And they said that the tweet was certainly not a call, (laughs) not a call at all uh, to arms or to kidnap or anything like that, which obviously it wasn't. But this case is full of entrapment issues. Now, again, if you're just tuning in, you don't know much about it, you know, with the Whitmer kidnapping plot, the FBI created the plot. The FBI then recruited people for the plot. The FBI then held the group together when the group was done with the plot and wanted to go their separate ways and just be done with it. They held everybody together. They brought more people in to keep them in the group. They were pushing their inside guy to really get this thing to come together and get these people to admit some stuff uh, about the plot before the, the election. And they were on a timeline. There's a big time crunch with the FBI handler to get this done. So it could affect the election. This is all out there in the open now. And that's exactly what they did. In a normal case where the FBI conducts an investigation like this, you already have a terrorist who wants to commit an act of terrorism. And that person then seeks out other people that could put them uh, in contact with, you know, equipment, supplies, weapons, training, other radicals who want to commit acts of terror themselves. And then usually what ends up happening is somebody sees that and says, hey, FBI or police, this is a real concern. Pay attention to this. That has not really happened here. 
this is a case in which the plot was formulated and then people were brought in to the plot. People who were already destitute, some with mental illness, one who wanted to commit suicide by cop and didn't really care about anything else. They then got them drunk, maybe high on other drugs, before having any conversations about the alleged plot. And they would get them to obviously, you know, speak a little bit easier because they have been now inebriated and that sort of thing. There's just a lot wrong with this. This is a clear-cut example of entrapment. And, and I'm not saying that these are good people, folks. I'm not. But we can't get into a situation where we're going to have the FBI running around creating fake plots that nobody would ever participate in. And then when they did try to back out, when all of them did try to back out and go their own ways, the FBI used other people, brought them in, and kind of roped them back in instead of just letting the plot kind of fall apart, which is ultimately like kind of what you would want, right? You would want the militants or the terrorists to say, you know what, it's not worth it, and just go their separate ways. But the FBI wasn't going to allow that to happen. Now, they were investigating one individual in the group prior to this because of some things that he said online. And they were really trying to rope in more people with that particular case to strengthen their case against that guy and also just bring in more people and make this about the election, which is ultimately what they they did. Uh, But, you know, that worked for some people. The problem is that you had some of the folks that were allegedly a part of this plot publicly posting videos about how much they hated Trump. So it didn't stick very well with uh, with a lot of people. So this is obviously pretty concerning. It's an egregious abuse of authority. And Julie Kelly just, you know, again, just prepping for all of this, just noticed, hey, wait a minute, hold on a second. You broke federal law when you did not arrest or did not do the indictment within uh, 30 days. You waited past the 30-day window, which is required in federal criminal cases. So what is even going on here? Interesting stuff. I don't know how much of a, a deal that was made at the trial. I'm not I'm not privy on that, but we'll see how this goes. All right. Uh, what else do we have here? Go to rumble.com slash Casey the host. Hit that subscribe button, if you will. Also, it is 331. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. All right, we got to talk about him. Sorry, we got to talk about Pete Buttigieg. We got to do it. He gave uh, he gave a talk, he gave a speech, he yapped at a bunch of people. I don't need to bore you with all of the gory details, but there's a couple of things that were said. The first thing that was said, can you cue my audio for me, please? I'll play small little snippets. I don't want to play his whole, he had gave like a 28-minute speech, and there's like five minutes worth of content in it. And I only need like 30 seconds of it. So here we go. So less dependent on foreign oil. And that protects us from shortages at Mm. at fuel stations. Mm. But here's the thing to remember. Mm. Even if all of the oil we use in the USA were made in the USA, the price of it is still subject to powers and dynamics outside of the USA, which means that until we achieve a form of energy independence Mm. that is based on clean energy created Mm. here at home, Mm. American citizens will Mm -hmm. still be vulnerable to wild Mm. price hikes like we're seeing Mm. right now. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, 
He's not entirely wrong on all of it, okay? We can reduce our dependence on foreign oil by not buying foreign oil, something that the administration that he works for does not want to do. That's the reality. And they don't even, here's the thing, we've always said this, we get it, there's a fundamental disagreement about this technology battle that we're having, okay? People like Judge think that you can get into an electric vehicle and that will solve all of the problems. There's major issues with that. For one, power grid cannot handle massive quantities of electric vehicles out there. It just can't. That's a reality. We've seen that everywhere in the world, okay? We've seen it in, in these blue states that have gone, you know, massive quantities of green energy, so-called green energy, which are not very green, okay? They're not green. I don't know what else to tell you. They're not green. You have solar power plants in the middle of the desert that don't produce enough energy throughout the year for their demand. And as a result, they use diesel generators to run the power sources from the power generation from those solar plants. Those solar plants have also been hit with pollution fines. You look at, was it the Solana, I think, uh, solar power station in Arizona was considered a major polluter. So if you go look at all of those stories, we talked about this a lot on the show before, go look at all of those stories and you will see that. Ivanpah in Nevada doesn't produce enough energy. They just don't. Is there a place for solar? Yes. Is there a place for wind? Sure. Is there a place for hydro? Hydro is really good, but you have to be in a place where hydro is going to be an actual source of, of power that you can use, and that's not everybody. So you have to start thinking about what you can do. If you put electric vehicles on the grid right now, the grid will collapse. It just, you know, in the quantities that they're talking about, it can't sustain it. If you're going to replace natural gas, which is clean, if you're going to replace fossil fuels, which are less clean, uh, if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to have a power grid that can handle the mass quantities of electric vehicles that are going to be out there and the, the charging that is going to be required to keep those things running. They don't have that in place. As a result of that, it makes zero damn sense to move over to a full electric vehicle type thing and to push it so much because the power grid is so unable to handle it. So you have to have a stopgap. That stopgap is going to be fossil fuels or natural gas for vehicles, period. So you use that stopgap until you develop the technology or a new technology to the point where, all right, we can throw all these electric vehicles onto the power grid without it being a problem. Of course, that technology already exists. It's called nuclear, and it's the only thing that exists that would allow this to happen. There is no other technology that allows it to happen. But the stopgap is going to be fossil fuels and natural gas. That's the reality, okay? There isn't another choice. So if you're going to have to use natural gas and fossil fuels, why would you buy from somebody else if you already have it yourself? That doesn't make any sense, okay? How many TVs do you have in your house, Josh? You have one TV, right? Do you need more? Then why go out and buy another TV? He says he wouldn't. Why? Because he doesn't need one. He doesn't need another TV. So why go out and buy another one? If you already have the oil, why are you going and buying oil from Russia? 
You already have it. It's stupid. And then what do you do? You make yourself vulnerable to Russian foreign policy, which is in direct contradiction to our own foreign policy. Why would you do that? This has been the thing that conservatives and libertarians have been screaming at the top of their lungs for the very beginning with OPEC. Most of the OPEC countries, frankly, suck. And they are opposed to our foreign policy. So why would you put yourself in a position where you are reliant upon, frankly, our enemies or political foes for your supply of energy? Look what Russia is doing to Europe right now. It makes no sense. So even if what our former mayor, Pete Buttigieg, is talking about, even if it were real, and it's not, even if it were real, it makes zero sense to stop domestic production of these these materials and these energy sources to buy them from another place. Not only does it jeopardize national security, not only is it inefficient, not only is it going to cost us more money, not only is it going to jeopardize the safety and the lives of not just Americans, but millions of third world people. Do you realize when you do this sort of thing and you limit the the supply of energy around the world, you understand that people in Africa and Central America die, right? You understand that, right? Or have we not explained this to you hoity-toity, fart-sniffing, leftist, rich, white people? Have we not explained that to you? Do you know what happens when they can't afford traditional fossil fuel energy from a an energy supplier in the third world? Do you know what they do? They bring poop, and they bring wood, and they bring leaves inside their home, and they burn it for a heat source. Do you know what that does? It causes a death, it's like a, what do they call it? It's like a death lung type situation where, I forget the exact name of it. There's a cloud that builds up in their huts, in their houses, whatever you want to refer to them as, and it actually damages their lungs and it kills them. You realize that there are hundreds of thousands of people a year who die from this crap. And the worse the energy situation gets, the worse it gets for them. That's what's happening. Rich liberals are killing people. Because they're trying to push a $55,000, on average, $55,000 electric vehicle, depending on if you want it, you know, $50,000 or a, a $150,000 electric vehicle. On average, they're about $55,000 in the U.S. and getting more expensive. But beyond that, beyond that, what do we use in electric vehicles? What do we use? I mean, the mining of everything that deals with electric vehicle, that's all not green and everything else too. But what do we use in an electric vehicle? Lithium, right? Cool. Um, there's not enough lithium. So unless they switch over to a different technology that doesn't require lithium, there isn't enough lithium to convert the amount of people in the U.S. to electric vehicles that Pete Buttigieg is talking about. It doesn't exist. There's like, I think they think it's like 90 million tons or something like that of lithium on the entire planet is the estimate. Now, they might find more. But they're saying by like 2030s, we're going to need like 20 million of that. And people haven't even converted over yet. You don't have enough of it. And it's extremely dirty to mine for this stuff. From an environmental perspective, it makes more sense to produce our energy here and not have all of the carbon emissions of having it produced elsewhere and shipped over here. From a national security standpoint, it makes more sense to have it produced here than from over there. From a price standpoint, yes, Pete is right that when you have even domestic oil production, and even if you kept it here, 
if that oil production is put on the international market, but you don't ship it abroad, it's still subject to those price fluctuations. Yes, but it is inoculated from wild swings. You can, you can protect yourself from those if everything is done domestically. You absolutely can. So internet in a big emergency, you certainly could do that. That's the part that he's not telling you. And if you want an electric vehicle, I said, I have no issue with electric vehicles. My issue is with the practicality of telling people who can barely afford $20,000 cars, they're supposed to get a $55,000 car. And then when you have somebody like Pete Buttigieg going, hey, look, if you get a $55,000 car, you don't have to worry about uh, the price of gas anymore. But the price of gas in its wildest price fluctuations will be cheaper and will save me money over buying an electric vehicle. So why should I spend that money? I realize that math is very difficult for leftists. They really hate math especially the socialist kind, they despise it. You will never come out ahead right now. Not right now. Not even close right now. If you buy $55,000 or more electric vehicle, you will not come out ahead through the life of that car than you would just paying the more expensive gas. You will lose money every single year. It would be cheaper for you to keep the car and pay the expensive gas prices. That's the truth. That's what they don't want to tell you because they're trying to push you to something where they have all of their little stock investments and everything else. So why do they have their little stock investments there? You got the China angle here. Uh, you've got the issue with, with African mining and dealing with warlords who own some of these mines and all of that other stuff to make electric vehicles. There may come a time, folks, there may come a time where we don't have to worry about all of that. Okay, And I certainly hope that we get there. But in the meantime, if you want to push people into electric vehicles, you better have a power grid that can handle it and right now, we don't. We have a power grid that goes on rolling brownouts in the wealthiest state in the union, California. They can't even keep the lights turned on year-round, for crying out loud. And everybody there is supposed to have an electric vehicle? How? How? My hometown in Nevada, they turn your air conditioning up to like 76, 78 degrees in the middle of the summer because they don't want you using your air conditioner at, at peak hours when you're not home. So they actually remotely control your thermostat. Why? Because the power grid, which is generally hydro and solar with some other stuff mixed in, they can't, they can't control the capacity. So how are you supposed to convert everybody to these electric vehicles without having the power grid to handle it? So in the meantime, until you have that power grid, you had better start investing in the best resources you have available. And those resources, lucky for us, happen to be right here. And natural gas, folks, clean. It's clean. You can use natural gas. You can develop natural gas. And then you can start building nuclear plants. Oh, who opposes building more nuclear plants? Josh, any ideas who opposes building more? That's right. Pete Buttigieg does. Said so himself during the campaign. He doesn't want any more nuclear plants. So you've got a bunch of people pushing for more people to use power on a power grid that can't handle the capacity while not supporting improving the power grid to handle the capacity with a zero-emission nuclear power plant. They won't do it. Now ask yourself why any of that is. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel.
Yeah, the other thing that uh, P. Buttigieg unveiled is new fuel standards. So your car, well, your car companies, I should say, uh, by 2026, will have to have a fleet average of 49 miles per gallon. Now, of course, this, this increases the cost of your cars, which are already going through the roof. Um, if you have to have a fleet average of 49 miles per gallon, you have to make vehicles that don't sell very well with very high miles per gallon in order to basically subsidize the vehicles that do sell well that they can't get to that point. Um, and then they have a lot of vehicles that just kind of sit there and, and don't do much. We've seen this throughout the CAFE standards over the last big bump that we had in them. Uh, lots of, of fleets of vehicles have vehicles that nobody's really buying but they help with the fleet-wide average, and that's why they're there. So these are all things that, again, you just you have to pay attention to and understand that your vehicles are going to get much more expensive as a result of this. Uh, what is it, like 32 or something like that miles per gallon now is what the fleet-wide average is, 32 or 36, something around there. And so by 2026, the average has to be 49 miles per gallon. And Pete Buttigieg said, of course, the government has spurned the innovation on all of that. Well, they were already spurning innovation. I remember the Ford Aspire. Remember the Ford Aspire? When I was in high school, I wanted a Ford Aspire, and and it was a god-awful, ugly car. But I wanted it because that thing had, like, nearly, what was it, 60-some-odd miles per gallon or something. Of course, you can't sell that car now because it's too dirty. Just throwing it out there. We've had... We've had vehicles who could do this, but again, they don't meet all of the prerequisites. So it's not just about mileage and all of that other stuff. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <clears throat> so, this is this is going to affect the price of your cars, which of course will make gasoline vehicles more expensive and hopefully push you into electric vehicles. <laughs> it's all that's what it's all designed to do. It's boosting people's stock portfolios in Washington D.C. It's all it's about. That's all ethanol was about. That's all this is about. You know, get the vehicle that you want as long as you can afford it. You know, make the right responsible decision, but definitely think things through. It's a major, major purchase. Most of you know that. All right, folks, go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Hit that subscribe button. Hang out with us during the live stream. You can also go to theburningtruth.us for the daily show prep and the podcast and more. More coming up, 95.3 MNC. Yeah, I want to address this. This is a really good question that was posted on the live stream. Uh, some Who is this here? Um, Bergduff, hopefully I pronounced that correct, said, does, do other countries get better gas mileage than the U.S. does? And the answer to that is yes, but they don't use gasoline. They use diesel. And so there's this blue tech that exists. I've talked about it for 15 years or more on the show. If you go to Europe, they use diesel primarily. But it's a, a clean diesel. It's not like diesel here. We didn't bring blue tech to the United States. Volkswagen brought it a little bit. The problem is that Volkswagen got caught kind of lying a little bit. Um, and, and here's the thing. Volkswagen, what they did was not egregious, but it was used by the political lobby 
to attack Volkswagen and the idea of clean diesel, even though clean diesel has been the standard in Europe for a long time now. So the one attempt to come through, and Volkswagen shouldn't have done it. I'm not defending them, but what they what they did wasn't the most egregious offense in the world, and it wasn't the most dishonest thing in the world for them to do. They just shouldn't have done it. Uh, they did. They got caught. They had to admit that. And as a result, the anti-diesel lobby in the U.S., which is huge, huge, um, the left-wing politics in, in the U.S., they hate diesel. They despise it. And the idea of bringing more diesel to the U.S., even if it is clean burning, it's not acceptable to them. Just absolutely not acceptable at all. So uh, there is a massive opposition to diesel in the United States. So as a result, we haven't gotten some of these vehicles that are made by Ford and made by Chevy. They get 60-some-odd miles per gallon. We don't get them because they're not allowed to be sold here. I've been talking about them for a long time. And even when you do the conversion, by the way, because some of you out there are going, hold on, miles per gallon isn't the same in Europe as it is here. You're right. But even when you do the conversion, they still come out way ahead from what our vehicles in the United States are producing. And it's it's just a different technology. Um, and Americans have just been resistant to diesel uh, for various reasons, mostly because diesel has a reputation as being dirty and for big pickup trucks and loud and that sort of stuff. But it's not that way with passenger cars in Europe. Uh, if you look into blue tech and, and the way that Europeans drive their vehicles, you'll find a lot of very clean burning diesel vehicles are over there. And that's that's the norm. That's not the exception. That's the norm. Diesel is cheaper than gasoline in Europe. So, uh, but yes, the answer to that is there are places that get better miles per gallon, but they use different technology than we use. And we have not embraced that technology, which is something that stuck in my craw. I even sent uh, Senator Harry Reid at the time a ton of documentations on Blue Tech, and nothing ever came from it. They're just absolutely opposed to it, 100%. All right, here we go. Speaking of gasoline, so we've got Article 42 expiring. Article 42 is the Trump-era COVID measure that keeps migrants in Mexico and from coming across the border into the United States. Now, there's estimated, according to the Department of Homeland Security, estimated to be 170,000 people that are now going to come across the border when Article 42 is, is done, okay, at various points. Not probably all at once, but you get the idea. Now that Article 42 is going to go away, and as a sidebar, can I just give a big shout-out to Congresswoman Lauren Boebert? Because she had a very good question over the weekend. She goes, if we're still using emergency use authorizations for the vaccines, why can we let Article 42 expire? That's a great question. If we're still under emergency use authorization for vaccines, then wouldn't that mean the emergency isn't over and therefore Article 42 should have been renewed? Good question. I don't think she has an answer. I I, I haven't been given one, so... Do you get the idea? But they're estimating that's 170,000 people, which is more than land at a D-Day. And I want to thank, uh, I think Comet on the live stream mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. That's more than we had a D-Day. So there's a lot of people getting ready to come across the southern border. So while Article 42 expires and we're going to deal with this influx of illegal immigrants coming into the United States. I had told you a couple of weeks ago that Americans were going into Mexico for cheap gas. Mexico happens to be one of the biggest oil oil uh, developers in the world used to be one of our top suppliers of oil. I don't know where they are in the list now, but they have dropped down the list. It used to be that Canada and Venezuela and Mexico were their big three suppliers. And that has all dramatically changed with various geopolitical things that have happened over the past decade. 
But Mexico is now moving to stop cheap gas in Mexico to prevent Americans from going into Mexico and taking their cheap gas. How's this for irony? So illegal illegal aliens from Mexico can come into the United States and steal billions of dollars out of our economy, send a bunch of it back home to their family and their relatives, but Mexico can't let Americans go across the border and just fill up their tank of gas? That's where we're at. So true story. This is Red State Mike Miller. Uh, this report might not reach the level of Babylon B satire, but it sure does peg the heck out of the needle on the irony meter. Uh, meter excuse me. As the Biden border crisis continues to worsen and the most inept president in modern history in his war on energy have contributed to increasing gas prices virtually from the beginning of his presidency, Mexico would like a word. Our southern neighbor is not happy with Americans crossing the border in search of lower prices and Mexican gas stations. Again, this is one of the most ironic things you are ever going to find. As reported by Reuters on Saturday, the Mexican government has been subsidizing gasoline to soften the price spikes. But it has announced that the policy would be suspended in areas close to the U.S. border this week, citing shortages as more and more Americans hop over and fill their tanks. We actually you know, crunched the numbers last, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, where it was cheaper to drive to Tijuana from the U.S. side of the border, fill up and drive back than it is to get gas in the U.S. You actually came out on top in spite of the extra drive. Of course, most people are taking their... Their gas cans down there, and they're filling those up as well. And so Mexico has now stopped subsidizing the gasoline in those northern areas, so that way Americans are disincentivized from coming across the southern border or their northern border and stealing their cheap gas from them. <laughs> One of the most ironic things ever. Mexico is really upset that you all keep trying to steal their cheap gas from their people. Yeah. Well, we would like to have a word with you about that, too. Just just throwing it out there. And what is happening with Twitter? What is Elon Musk doing? What is he do? You saw the story, right, Josh? What is he doing? So Elon Musk, for those of you who don't know, Elon Musk has been a big advocate um, for reforming Twitter for a long time now. He's talked about it for many years. It got to a point after... The Hunter Biden story, I think, where he said, you know what, this has got to change. And he started doing polls and stuff on his Twitter account. And on his Twitter account, he's saying, you know, hey, do you think that they they enforce their guidelines evenly? And, of course, the answer was no. But underneath it, you know, he had said, he's like, look, be very honest about this. This poll will have ramifications. And nobody really knew what he meant, okay? But, you know, when you're, like, the richest person in the world, you people have to, is he one or two now? Cause it goes back and forth to him and Bezos, but you have to listen to somebody when they go, this has ramifications because they've got money to do whatever the heck they want. So what is he going to do? And as a result, the polls had like 70 some odd percent said, no, they don't enforce the, uh, you know, the, the Twitter uh, rules fairly. And of course they don't. Anybody who says that Twitter is being fair is lying to you. So that, and there's a couple of other tweets about him possibly, taking over Twitter or starting another social network and that sort of thing. And we kind of talked about it. It was like, you know, this would be interesting if Elon Musk got into this game too. Truth Social so far report is very, very successful, although they are in some trouble with the FCC. Uh, I've been talking about that on the early show tomorrow on Rumble. 
And and so there's some interesting things that are kind of happening here where you're seeing that parallel economy and different social networks are kind of showing up. And when you just start a social network, it's hard to get a lot of momentum behind it. But if you're Elon Musk, it's really easy to get that momentum. If you're Donald Trump, it's really easy to get that momentum. And so that's why you've seen that kind of happen. And then all of a sudden we woke up on Monday and he's disclosed that he's got 9.2% in, in Twitter shares. Now, some of you are going, it's only 9%. That's not a big deal. You have to understand something. Do you know who the number two shareholder in Twitter is, Josh? Newsman, have you done this story? The number two shareholder, okay, is Jack Dorsey. The the CEO of, is he still the CEO? No, he stepped down as CEO, I think. Former CEO of uh, Twitter, okay? He only has like 2%. So Elon Musk, by a wide margin, is the largest shareholder in Twitter right now. He's got 9.2%. His nearest is Jack, who has like 2 point, okay, 2.25%. Sorry, I was off by a quarter of a percent. Jack Dorsey has 2.25% shares in Twitter. Elon Musk, 9.2%. That's dramatic. He bought almost 74 million shares. So what is going on here? Elon Musk loves Twitter. That's where he's always at. Trump loved Twitter too. And I I was pointing out in the early show today, it's kind of interesting because Twitter was for sale forever and nobody wanted to buy them. They were... Before Trump's presidency, people thought Twitter was going to shutter and close. That's how bad it was over there. And now it's become the de facto marketplace, as Elon Musk refers to it as. So this is this has got a lot of people asking questions. What is he doing? Nobody knows. But that's a big move. And he has influence by being the largest shareholder. But he doesn't get to force Twitter to do what he wants. And this is where... A lot of people have been kind of confused. So Elon Musk, yes, he's the largest shareholder in Twitter, but he's not a majority shareholder in Twitter, meaning he doesn't own over 50%. He could get 10 or more of the other top shareholders on board with him, and they could force the board of directors to change. They could do that, which dramatically changes Twitter as a company. That hasn't happened yet. We don't really know what his plans are. He's just kind of woke. We woke up on a Monday and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Elon Musk is is the big guy over at uh, Twitter. So what's going on now? So keep an eye on this story. I don't know what he's going to do with it. He doesn't have a ton of power now. He has influence, but he doesn't have a ton of power. But he could wield it very effectively. He, you assume that he's got some kind of a plan. Elon Musk is a very smart business guy. You have to assume he's got a plan. I don't know what the plan is. Nobody's heard what the plan is. But there is something happening with Twitter and Elon Musk, and that would be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, There's a lot of positive things about Truth Social. The engagement rate of stories on Truth Social are much higher than they are on Twitter and Facebook. And these are stories that are obviously very, very important for conservatives. So, Their engagement rate is very, very high over there, and that's something that they are really touting. The problem is is that you are supposed to all be in Truth Social by the end of last month, and that has clearly not happened. And as a result of that, there could be some issues um, with their public filing that the the, uh, 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 FTC, not FCC, sorry, FTC might be looking at. So FEC, FCC, FTC, you get it. They're all weird. So it... 
there's something going on over there at True Social. They think it's a, a tech issue and that sort of thing and a growth issue. But they could be in a little trouble just because of that, because they're not fully open to everybody else. And that's what was was offered and promised when their original IPO came out. So we'll see. But they're not in danger of closing down or anything like that. Mostly just fines and stuff. So keep an eye on Twitter. Keep an eye on True Social. Don't really know exactly what's going on at Twitter. But Elon Musk, is he rarely does things without a, a plan. And if you go back and look at his Twitter history, he's been plotting something with Twitter for quite some time. And he even teased it last week that he was talking about a social network of his own and that sort of thing. So if he's got the votes with top shareholders to to force a change of the board of directors at Twitter, they fundamentally change that company and how it operates. Could happen. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I know you all think I'm being petty by pointing out that Notre Dame and IU are not playing in the championship game, but you have to understand how much it really offends some of my coworkers. And that's why I do it. <laughs> it brings a smile to my face. You have no idea how much smile I get on my face just from doing all of this stuff. So, uh, Somebody did say that if Elon Musk gets to 10%, he can force himself on the board of Twitter. Be real interesting to see what he does. There's He's making moves on Twitter. There's no doubt about that. We just don't know exactly what it's going to mean in the end. And uh, still, I'm likely not to get onto that platform. I did look briefly because Getter refuses to verify me. I did look briefly about re redoing my old account, but they said that uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't put on sleep mode and it was actually put on kill mode that I can't bring it back. So there's that. <clears throat> All right, there's a new report out there. Over 100 police officers were shot in the first three months of 2022. That is an increase of 46% from last year. Over 100 police officers have been shot in the first three months of this year. That is a 46% increase over last year. This is according to the Fraternal Order of Police. Out of 101 officers shot so far in 2022... At least 17 of them have been killed, according to the report. Ambush-style attacks also increased up 36% from 2021. They've been increasing since the, the uh, uh, what's that, Michael Brown riots. Police-related casualties have been on the rise up 63% from 2020, which was a period when the U.S. was engulfed in widespread riots in the wake of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 25th. In 2021, there were 103 ambush attacks that resulted in 130 officers being shot, an increase of 115%, 115% from 2020. These historic numbers are horrific and are an absolute stain on our society, the FOP said. When the vast majority of media elites decide that this issue isn't worth covering, it speaks volumes as to where our society is headed. They're not wrong. But let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, that the news media wants you, wants you to be angry at police. 
They want people to be violent towards police. That's what they want. That's why they've covered the stories that they've covered, the way that they've covered them, hiding facts from everybody, lying to people. There's no other way around it. They have straight up lied to people since the Michael Brown case. Before that, too, but especially since then. Arizona, Missouri, Georgia, and New York saw the largest number of police-related shootings in 2022. An FOP spokeswoman told the Daily Caller News Foundation that no officers this year had died from complications from wounds suffered in prior years. In 2021, two of the deaths listed by the FOP were the result of long-term complications from gunshot wounds from previous years. But that has not been the case this time around. So keep this in mind when you start discussing some of these issues with your friends and your relatives. The media's rhetoric and their anti-cop narrative, and that's exactly what it is. It is an anti-police narrative that the news media has been running for years now. It's having its desired effect, which is violence towards law enforcement. MNC News Time is 4.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Uh, Russia's going to end its cooperation with the International Space Station, apparently. At least they're threatening to. I mean, I never wanted their cooperation to begin with. The International Space Station was a stupid idea. I said it the moment it was launched. It was a dumb idea. It should have been the U.S. Space Station. With a giant space laser, and then you can... You can Think of what we could do if we had a giant space laser right now with everything happening in Ukraine and Russia and everything else. Imagine what we could do. Giant space laser, you know, or or the Thor system. If you, <laughs> if you know anything about that, we've talked about that on the show, too. But it would be. Be a lot easier to get people to comply. Um, what else do we have here? I will get into uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. A little bit later. I posted something over the weekend. Got a lot of people uh, upset. And rightfully so. And it's gonna there's gonna be some quotes in there that I think people need to hear. Okay. So we will we'll talk about that as well. All right. Um <clears throat> I don't I don't know why people have to pick these fights. I really don't understand any of this, but okay, here we go. With the signing of the parental rights in education law in Florida, the pearl clutching has only gotten worse. According to liberals far and wide, most of which don't even reside in the sunshine, sunshine state, it is an affront to their civil rights for teachers to not be able to discuss transgenderism and sexuality with small children. Again, the bill only affects K through K through third grade. On Friday, a Facebook post circulating concerning a shirt that said protect trans kids being worn by a teacher. Per the post, the shirt was deemed political because it clearly is, especially given the current environment, and was asked to be removed. Now that led to a rash of claims about Florida's new law. Now again, most of these teachers who have hopped on and have completely, by the way, corroborated the reason why this law was needed... They've all said, I want to have conversations about my marriage with the kids and things of that nature. You're not supposed to. My entire school life, and most of you listening to this right now, your entire school life revolved around you not knowing that your teacher was even married unless you saw the ring. 
and suddenly this is like a part of the classroom, which is creepy. Uh, what are they? What are they cringe is what the kids are saying these days. It's very cringy. Teachers talking about their partners and things like that in class. It's very cringy. One teacher had a meltdown. Um, I I posted about this on social media. I had a meltdown. Like oh, I send this thing home every every uh, New Year, introducing myself and saying that I'm married and my spouse and what they do for a living and all of that. First of all, you don't have to do that. And second of all, this law doesn't prevent you from doing that. This is purely about classroom instruction. And it has to be age appropriate. That's all. We've read you the bill. Other people have read you the bill. But of course, the teachers who are being affected by the bill didn't bother to read the bill. They're just going by what their activist group friends have been telling them and probably the teachers union. So it only involves classroom instruction, guys. You know, it doesn't involve any of that other stuff. So here comes this uh, this dingus on Twitter. Unacceptable teacher attire plus parent complaint to the school equals shirt is gone. Great job, Mama Bear Jen. Please don't ever have the attitude. I'm not even going to bother saying anything because they won't care. Many times the district is not aware and they often appreciate the heads up either way. It's our job as parents to let them know. Now, again, that was about the teacher who was wearing protect trans kids. That was a shirt at school. So somebody else. Uh, that was fast. The new Florida Board of Education appointee praises a parent for reporting a teacher's protect trans kids shirt as unacceptable attire. This took place yesterday on the Trans Day of Visibility. So enter the uh, the weirdo here on Twitter. But don't you dare call it a don't say gay law because then supporters' feelings will be hurt. Now, the problem with that is they're trying, okay, they're trying to make this that the Florida law is what is banning this shirt. Except the Florida law is not what is banning the shirt. This shirt was already banned before the Florida law. And the Florida law is not even in effect right now. But they made the claim. Now, here's the thing. This is supposed to be a lawyer. Okay? This individual who's posting this is supposed to be a lawyer. Relatively speaking, don't lawyers, like, have to know the law and stuff? That's the thing, right? It's a job description, right, Josh? Lawyers need to know the law. So this Oklahoma attorney named Gabriel Maller decided to go ahead and say that the Florida law is the reason that this teacher wasn't allowed to wear a Protect Trans Kids shirt in school. Hmm. All right. Here comes somebody named EJ. Is EJ a lawyer? Let me, let me find out. Let me open this up on Twitter. Uh, he's a bitter Orioles fan, and he's a Latino short king. That's who he is, okay, according to his Twitter profile. So I have no idea if he has any legal chops, but he's right. Florida's parental rights and education law has a July 1st, 2022 effective date. So Gabe is blatantly lying. Nevertheless, the article, which our talentless lawyer Gabe failed to read, shows why the teacher had to remove the shirt to begin with. It was in the article. God forbid somebody should read the article. How long have I been talking about people not reading the articles? How long? My entire career, I think. What is that, 16, 17, 20 years? Whatever it is. Up Church provided a portion of the St. John's County School District's employees uh, while on duty at school or on district property. Employees are not allowed to wear buttons or apparels that display. You ready for this? <clears throat> They're not allowed to wear buttons 
or apparel that display a written message of any kind except for names, logos, and slogans related to a school district, the district, or a school or district-related organization, event, or activity. Employees shall not wear apparel with a political logo, elephant, donkey, etc. However, employees shall have the right to participate in political activities in their individual capacity when they are not scheduled for duty and are not on district property or at a school-sponsored event or activity. So this lawyer and a bunch of these other nitwits are out there saying that the Florida law is now banning shirts in school, but those shirts are already banned in school because the schools don't allow the teachers to express their politics, which is exactly what should be happening at schools everywhere. Isn't it weird that everybody who is really upset that this teacher had to take this shirt off are the same people who are really upset that that local teacher hit that kid? For their political beliefs. Isn't that interesting? But this is how they do things. Every belief that they have is a direct contradiction to another belief. Every single one of them. And they continue to embarrass themselves about it. It's like them Hollywood nitwits. The the, the three harpies that hopped up on the Oscars stage and said, Oh, Florida, we're going to have a gay old time. Gay, 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 gay. It's like the bill isn't even about that. You're just making a fool of yourself. They, they, they're not even aware that they're making fools of themselves. They don't even have the intellectual capacity to understand that they are that clueless. Another example of this clueless elitism of the people who are not elite, and they're not elite. That's the thing. We refer to them as elite as a slander because they're not elite. They're intellectually deficient. They're morally deficient. They're informationally deficient. They just have a lot of money and a lot of fame, hence the elite status. They think they're elite, and they think they're elite because they got a bunch of yes-men running around and telling them that they're super smart, like LeBron James' inner circle, who keeps swearing up and down to him, no, no, man, you're, you're super intelligent. You're like the smartest guy I know. And then you listen to LeBron James talk for five minutes, and you realize you're basically dealing with an uncooked kidney bean. So this is... The View, right? The View goes out there, and The View has responded to Sarah Palin announcing that she is going to run for Congress. And she's kind of kicked the idea around for many years. She's finally going to do it. Sarah Palin, former vice presidential nominee, the reason that everybody voted for John McCain, she is officially going to be running for Congress in Alaska. And so The View immediately picks up, making fun of her with the whole, I can see Russia from my house. Did Sarah Palin say that she could see Russia from her house? No, it never happened. Tina Fey said it while she played Sarah Palin on a Saturday Night Live skit, but you had at least two of the hosts of The View immediately attack Sarah Palin with this lie. And it was a lie that has permeated, you know, throughout the whole Sarah Palin culture, if you will. And all what, for those of you young, maybe you weren't there, or those of you who don't remember, what Sarah Palin did say is you can see Russia from Alaska, which is true. You can. And the distance from Russia to Alaska is roughly the same as from the beach in Michigan City to, to Chicago. And anybody who's been to Michigan City and any of the beaches there knows you can look across the lake and you can see Chicago in a clear day. Everybody knows that. 
it is roughly the same distance, between 50 and 60 miles, depending on where you're at, okay? And that's the same thing. Now, here's the other Here's the other catch. You ready for this? There are islands in between Russia and Alaska that belong to the U.S. that are much closer to Russia than even the shores of Alaska. But she was specifically speaking about the shores of Alaska. And she was right. But nonetheless, the idiots out there are still running with this lie because it, it's, it demonizes her. There was this really, really good video that was done. I have to go back and find it. It was done at the polls after people voted in that election between McCain and Obama in uh, 2008. And they were asking people who said what quote. And these ridiculously stupid quotes kept coming up and everybody said, oh, that has to be Sarah Palin. It was never Sarah Palin. <laughs> it was always one of the Democrats that were involved. But it just goes to show you they built a narrative, as they often do with Republicans. They built a narrative that, that Sarah Palin was an idiot. And then every time Sarah Palin was in front of them and talking, they couldn't understand why she was running circles around them because she was supposed to be a blithering idiot, but she's not. She's very intelligent. Her parents, by the way, are some of this. I don't even know if they're still around, but some of the sweetest people I've ever met. And Sarah Palin is now running for Congress, so they have to attack her. They have to demonize her using the old slanders from all of those years ago. So immediately they're back at, oh, yeah, I can see Russia from my house. That was a Saturday Night Live sketch. She never actually said that. But there's going to be a bunch of people who believe it because you have a bunch of imbeciles running around and just saying it. Now you've got lawyers out there lying about the Florida bill. You've got teachers out there crying on camera about the Florida bill. You realize every time some activist teacher gets on TikTok and, and talks about how they're really upset that they can't talk about their sex life with their kids, you realize that just validates the law that much more. Every single time it happens, it just proves why that law was so necessary. Every single time. Always remember that. All of these people all over, and TikTok is a cesspool, guys. I get it. But all over TikTok, these teachers are out there talking about how, oh, woe is me. I can't talk about my sex life with my kids and my partner and everything else. And yeah, well, that's not what you're there for. Maybe if you were teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic, we wouldn't be having some of the test scores we're having. But I digress. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Why am I going to break already? Am I okay? Do I need to? Is this the bumper music that you picked? You just picked the wrong, picked the wrong bumper music. You think, you think because this is your last week, you can just pick the wrong bumper music anytime you want? Is that what you think? <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. All right. <laughs> Uh, go to rumble.com slash Casey, the host rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Uh, did you see that, uh, that Joe Biden forgot, uh, what his official title is? Ooh, what's this? Here we go. Oh, I got a package. Oh, okay. Ah, gifts. All right. Joe Biden had another brain gaffe. Can you go ahead and cue up my audio, please? I just want to want to go ahead and play this. this. Is Joe Biden? It's not playing it embedded. Hold on a second. Sorry. Of the work she's doing as first lady with joining forces initiative. She started with Michelle Obama when she was vice president and now carries on. 
and I'm deeply okay. So what he what he did is he said he's deeply proud of the work that Jill, his wife, is doing as first lady with joining forces initiative. She started with Michelle Obama when she was vice president. Was Michelle Obama ever vice president? I mean, many of us had jokes about it, but was she ever vice president? No. She wasn't. So, how many of these mistakes have to happen before people just say, okay, enough is enough? Uh, what it was once is an understandable mistake. Even a few blubs, flubs, excuse me, are perhaps worth of being explained away. But we are talking about dozens and dozens of brain-breaking instances over the course of just a few years in which Joe Biden appears to be completely out of it. To be clear, there's a difference between someone not being prepared, like Kamala Harris, and talking themselves in circles versus what we see with Biden. To be fair, Donald Trump also had a propensity to do the stream of consciousness thing, but there was never any question that he was sentient and present. With Biden, you are constantly left wondering whether he even knows where he's at. Who forgets how many grandchildren they have multiple times? Well, that is a great question. Now, Jill Biden also forgets how many grandkids she has, and that's because they're disowning one of their grandkids that they're just pretending doesn't exist. But that still didn't explain why the stockings at the White House weren't one stocking off. They were two stockings off. <clears throat> you guys remember that story? Now, remember, there's this, you know, this Hunter Biden love child that, the, that has been proven to be his with DNA results. And the Biden family has not accepted this as their grandchild. By the way, what grandparent does that? Okay. Every grandparent. Usually it's the grandparents that find the, the mother and will say, it's, it's my grandbaby. I will help. Forget my son. He's, he's a pig. Usually that's what happens. That's not happening with the Bidens. Okay? Jill Biden has abandoned that child. Joe Biden has abandoned that child. Hunter Biden has abandoned that child. They've all done it. But at Christmas time, when they had all of the, the stockings up there, and they were talking about this is the stockings for the family and the grandkids, I expected them to be missing one because they weren't acknowledging this new grandchild, but they were two off. And I could never figure out which other grandchild they forgot. Maybe they were just a grandkid who had been particularly bad that year, and they weren't even worthy of getting coal. I don't know. But you have, folks, it happens so often. There's no way that anybody out there in this audience or any other audience could possibly think it was just normal. There's just not, it's not possible. And considering he keeps giving away national security secrets, which I'm going to play some here during my news break on the live stream, you have to wonder how long this can last because he is clearly a danger to this country and to our allies. More coming up, 95.3 MNC. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Hopefully you're all having a good Monday. I posted something over the weekend, got some reaction from people, and it's all true. 
And we're going to go over that right now. It all involves the Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. And I think it's important to go over some of the new stuff that we have learned about her and her cases. You're already familiar that she went lenient on sentencing of child pornographers, pedophiles. Let's just call them what they are, pedophiles. Her position on that leniency has been viewing and distributing child pornography is not an egregious offense, producing it is. And it is super easy to get these images and videos now, so we should make the sentencing more lenient because it's just too easy for people to get large caches of these images and videos. That's her position that she's explained in this hearing. It's a position that I reject, that I think that most sane, logical people reject. But I posted some quotes from some of the new transcripts of her rulings that we have gotten. And the reaction has been pretty strong. Even uh, Kayla Blakesley over at WoWo shared it. And her audience has got a reaction to it as well. When you have what I'm about to tell you come out of a judge's mouth, there's a real problem with the judicial process. So I'm going to go over one article, and then I'm going to get into that. First thing is that at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Judge Jackson wanted to empty the jails at the very beginning of that pandemic, just let everybody out of jail. Yeah, that would have worked out great. Fantastic. Wonderful. I'll put that in the Daily Show prep. That's ultimately not why we're here. She's got a lot of problems with her judicial record that I don't think are as relevant as this. So here we go. Uh, It looks like I lost all of my markers here. That's okay. In the eight child porn cases that came before her court, former D.C. District Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson heard horrifying details of, I'm going to clean language up here as best as I can, okay? Of torture of young kids. I'm leaving a lot of words out. Including infants and toddlers. Yet challenged the distributing, okay, disturbing evidence, excuse me, uh, presented by prosecutors and disregarded their prison recommendations to give the lightest possible punishment in in each and every one of those cases. So that's eight cases that came before. She gave the lightest possible sentence allowed to her in every one of those cases, according to transcripts of sentencing hearings that have been obtained by the New York Post. In some cases, she even apologized to some of the pedophiles for having to follow the statutes, which she called substantially flawed. Now, I want you to imagine a situation where you've got a judge sitting there and telling you, a pedophile, or telling a pedophile, I'm sorry that I have to do this to you. The standards are tying my hands. Imagine hearing a judge say that. It's insanity. But I want to focus on her 2013 case. And the sentencing of Wesley Keith Hawkins, which is a case you've heard a lot about on this show and other shows. Hawkins was busted posting videos on YouTube of boys as as, young as 11 years old getting raped by men. He posted them to YouTube. That's how he got caught, because he posted them to YouTube. 
she gave Jackson a slap on the wrist, and then she apologized to him for doing it. Instead of the two years in prison that prosecutors asked for, she gave him three months. She then sent him to a lower security facility and even arranged special protections for his safety that is normally afforded to cops who are sent to prison. Now, the reason that she had to do that is pedophiles don't do well in prison. Quote, I am not persuaded that two years in prison is necessary, she said. Keep in mind, this is the first these transcripts have come out. She argued that such a sentence does not account for mitigating factors. Now, what mitigating factors could we be talking about in somebody who had hundreds of videos and pictures of young children being hurt in this way and then posted them online so other people could see? What mitigating factors does she feel would keep, should keep him out of prison? One of those mitigating factors were, and I quote, his future potential. His future potential. She further explained her decision. She disputed the severity of the evidence investigators presented and suggested the more than 600 images they caught him with, quote, don't signal an especially heinous or egregious child pornography offense, unquote. Now, keep in mind, we don't know the breadth of everything that he had, but what we do know is we know that he uploaded to YouTube videos of young children as young as 11 being raped by men. That's what we know that he did upload. And she did not think that that was, quote, especially heinous or egregious. She goes on. This is a truly difficult situation, she said, speaking to the pedophile. I appreciate that your family is in the audience. I feel so sorry for them and for you and for the anguish that this has caused all of you. You realize she looked at the pedophile and said that she's sorry for the anguish that his harming of children, and yes, even if he didn't do the physical act, him spreading the images of it, harmed those kids. That is, after all, why we have revenge porn laws, right? His harming of those kids, she apologized to him for that. Now, his family, I don't know anything about his family. Yeah, horrible when a family has to go through something like this because they're not the ones who did it. But she then expressed sorrow over even the light sentence that she handed down. Quote, I also feel terrible about the collateral consequences of this conviction, she said. She explained that sex offenders are truly shunned in our society, but I have no control over the collateral consequences. So this guy did what he did, posted what he posted. She says it's not an egregious offense. It's not a serious child pornography case. I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. And I'm so sorry that society is going to stigmatize you later on. And she gave him a light sentence because of his, quote, future potential. She offered that, quote, youth and inexperience may have clouded your judgment and dismissed concerns that he was a risk to reoffend. She said, and I quote, there's no reason to believe you are a pedophile. 
really, or that you pose any risk to children. So it's not necessary to incapacitate you in order to protect the public. Because non-pedophiles have over 600 images of young children on their computers, and non-pedophiles upload 11-year-olds being raped by adults to YouTube, right? Non-pedophiles do that, right? That's what she said to him when she sentenced him to three months, which her hands were tied in. So, it's not necessary to incapacitate you in order to protect the public health, and she dismissed concerns from the prosecution that he was a risk to reoffend. Well, six years later, he did reoffend, as all pedophiles do. I've yet to see a reformed pedophile. I've been asking for evidence of a reformed pedophile, but I can't find one beyond the ones who go through a medical procedure, and I think many of you know what I'm talking about, which a lot of them ask for. In 2019, Hawkins reoffended again, was caught reoffending, I should say, when his probation officer busted him continuing his child pornography obsession. Hawkins had to step in and essentially resentence him. Jackson, excuse me, had to step in and resentence him. So this is a guy that she gave three months to, and the recommendation was two years, had heinous stuff, said, I don't think you're a uh, pedophile. I don't think you're a risk to reoffend. I don't think this was an egregious case, yada, yada, yada. So she lets him go three months. Six years later, he reoffends. She sees him again in court. And you know what she gave him after he reoffended? Six months in a residential reentry center. Not prison. So when he did reoffend, she didn't even punish him severely then. So even if you're trying to make the case that, hey, this is a young person and maybe you want to give him a chance, which she tried to do, when he reoffended six years ago, she still gave him a light sentence and kept him out of jail. Why? Asked about Hawkins' relapse at her Senate hearing, she testified that she could not recall the case. Except we know from May of 2021 that she did, in fact, recall the case because... She quoted that case when she was sentencing somebody else. And she sentenced that person to just 28 months in prison when the prosecutors wanted 78 months. A more serious example of recidivism involved another case that Jackson heard with a compassionate ear. In 2015, Neil Alexander Stewart was caught with hundreds of child sex images and videos. He confided to an undercover officer posing as a fellow child predator that he was interested in willing children between the ages of 5 and 11 years old and sought to meet at the D.C. Zoo with the agent's fictional 9-year-old daughter. In her 2017 sentencing, Jackson gave Stewart 57 months in jail, well short of the 97-month prosecution the prosecution had asked for. The judge set aside prosecutors' warnings that Stewart had a risk of hands-on sexual abuse of children and posed a continuing threat to the community. Hmm. So I just want to be crystal clear here. It's not just the light sentencing. It's the fact that when these pedophiles do this, she is sympathetic to them, not to the kids, 
not to the family, the children, not to society. It's not that she's giving them light sentences. It's that she's apologizing to them for even having to give them light sentences. It's that she doesn't think adults raping 11-year-olds is a particularly egregious offense for somebody to be uploading to YouTube. That's the problem. And that's who members of the news media and members of left-wing politics right now are lionizing and defending and promoting and supporting and accusing you of being a bigot for daring to have a problem with this. There isn't a sane person in the world who could read these transcripts and think that she has anywhere, any business at all being anywhere near a bench. More coming up. 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. There's a name that you're probably going to hear. You may have been familiar with this individual, maybe not. But this goes into kind of like what I was talking about earlier with idiots just repeating nonsense because other people will just repeat that nonsense. And as long as there's enough people in the echo chamber repeating a lie, then what does it really matter if it's not true, right? Well... There's this alleged Republican governor in Maryland. His name is Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan thinks he's going to run for president because the powers that be in the Republican Party have said, you can run for president. And his inflated ego makes him think that he actually can. He can't. Nobody likes Larry Hogan outside of his own state. Very few people in his state are, are very fond of him. But he's a never-Trumper type guy and, and that sort of thing. So that's where the, the whole ball game from the swamp comes in. Well, he's a Republican, and he decided to attack Florida. Now, he's from Maryland. He's from Maryland. Think about this. If you're the governor of Maryland and you're going on CNN, what, what is the point of attacking Florida? Shouldn't we be talking about national issues, not state issues, for a state that's not even your own state? But again, this is all designed to improve his image, and he's he's going out there to let the never-Trump Republicans who have no support in the party base right now, none, that he's here, and he's Larry Hogan, and I'm going to probably run for president. Larry Hogan will be a bigger joke of a candidate than Jeb Bush was. So he goes on CNN, he goes on with Dana Bash, and he's asked about the Florida law. And he... Instead of referring to it, of course, as the Florida Parental Rights Law, which is what it is, he basically attacks it for being the Don't Say Gay bill. Now, he targeted Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, implying that he is guilty of a double standard. Why? Why would DeSantis be guilty of a double standard? I mean, you know why he's... Here's the thing. I know why he's actually doing this, but it's just... From a practical standpoint, Larry Hogan hasn't said that he's running... DeSantis hasn't said that he's running. So he's immediately just trying to distance himself from DeSantis because he thinks that he can win support in the Republican Party to be the potential nominee. I got news for you. You're not going to. 
And if DeSantis runs and Hogan runs, it's going to be hysterical to watch Hogan lose. Because he is. He's going to lose a, a, a lot. It's going to be embarrassing. So he's attacking the Florida bill. Now, I want you, I'm going to quote him here. I'm not going to play you the audio, but I want you to listen to what he said about the Florida bill, which he attacked. He attacked DeSantis and he attacked the Florida bill. I didn't really actually see the details of the legislation, but the whole thing seems like a crazy fight. How do you know it's a crazy fight if you didn't read the bill, idiot? Same thing with all of the teachers. Oh, poor me. I can't tell everybody about my family. Yes, you can. You just can't tell everybody what you do with your family and your own personal time in the bedroom. That's it. You can tell them that you're married. You can tell them that you're married to somebody who's the same sex as you are. doesn't matter. That's not a part of the bill. I didn't really actually see the details of the, of the legislation, but the whole thing seems like just a crazy fight. Am I, Josh, am I the only person before doing a national interview actually researches the dang topic that I'm going to talk about? Am I the only one? Does everybody else just show up? I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to wing it. You never know it's going to come out. It concerns me that DeSantis is always talking about he was not demanding that businesses do things, but he was telling the cruise lines what they had to do. No, he wasn't, you idiot. Read the bill next time before you embarrass yourself on national TV. So, remember, it's not Jeb Bush. It's Larry Hogan who's going to embarrass himself in the next presidential election because they've puffed him up to think that he actually is popular and he can actually win this thing. But another person of esteem going out there attacking Florida, admitting before he attacks Florida, he never even read the legislation. (laughs) <laughs> you think the Sands is going to use that in a debate against him? Yeah, probably. MNC News Time is 5.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. So the World Health Organization has started it all over again. They're talking about the most transmissible COVID variant yet in the United Kingdom. Fauci is saying mask mandates will come back if cases start going up. I don't don't know about that. I don't know. Are you getting the impression that people are going to put the the face diaper back on? I'm not getting the impression they're going to. But again, you know, we've, we've been in a state where people haven't been really going along with it anyway so maybe we're isolated from how other people feel not really sure i just don't see people going back man i really don't until there's bodies being stacked up somewhere i don't see that happening but they're saying that this new variant is 43 percent more transmissible than the original omicron which they say savaged the globe last year. Omicron didn't savage anything. Omicron did not savage the globe, World Health Organization. Omicron cured it. Hey. So, again, this, this, this new one combines two Omicron variants, BA-, BA.1, BA.2, and... They're calling it the Z, like like X E Z. Wait, what's the name of the what's the name of the Chinese president again? 
Oh, he's going to be really mad about this one. So what does it mean for you? Not a thing. Not a single thing. Just letting you know that they're going to scare you again. Oh, what do we have coming up? That's right. Got elections coming up. That's right. Got elections coming up. Forgot all about it. Yeah. Uh, We've been reporting this all day on 95.3 MNC as well. The Elkhart Common Council is considering a resolution in support of Rio's Rainbows. Rio's Rainbows, excuse me. Uh, The organization aims to pursue preventing bullying, uh, intervening for uh, intervention for bullies and support for victims. We talked about this being formed after Rio Allred passed away. And um, you've seen on my social media posts me promoting the organization and how you can be a part of it. Uh, I've done that a couple of times, even on some national platforms as well. So hopefully it it goes well. Um, But, you know, the council is is set today at 7 o'clock to support Rio's Rainbow. And I hope that they do it. I hope that, that provides some legitimacy to an organization, and I hope that the organization takes off with Rio's name and makes a good name for itself. That's what I sincerely hope. And we've talked about a lot of organizations around the country. But we've got a couple here locally that have done that with you know uh, horrible tragedies involving young people, and they've turned it around, and they've used the names of those young people to have great impact on our community and other communities, and I certainly hope that that's what happens here. And uh, it's, you know, all you can do is in a tragedy like this, you know, if you have an opportunity to allow that name to live on and do good for others, you should take it. And that's what the family is doing. And I wish them the absolute best in that endeavor. They said, I I will continue to uh, promote that organization and and hope that it continues to grow and, and do well. And hey, this is a this is a step in the right direction. So. I know that you don't get to hear this a lot from me, but Mayor Robertson, I support this. And I think it's a good thing that you and the council would be doing in spite of our political differences. This is the right thing to do. If you go online to rumble.com slash Casey, the host, you can watch the early show. You can also hang out with me. And do you think it's a coincidence that Elon Musk has purchased 9.2% of the Twitter shares on the same day that Cardi B has deleted her Twitter? I don't know. I'm just asking questions. Apparently she hates her audience and and she's been in a battle with them. Uh, Cardi B, by the way, is a horrendous criminal, but uh, she left Twitter today. So there's that. Maybe Elon Musk is good for Twitter. Who knows? Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Let's uh, let's take a look at our good friends, China, shall we? A bipartisan commission released a report detailing communist China's gross human rights violation last week. Uh, The annual report published by the Congressional Executive Commission on China determined that China had perpetrated systematic violations of human rights. And I know you're all super shocked by that. And that it posed a challenge to the rules-based international order. The report's findings cover a wide range of issues, including freedom of religion, the rights of women and refugees, as well as rights 
for repressed people, such as those in Xinjiang. I probably butchered that, where the commission determined China is perpetrating both genocide and eugenics. Actual genocide, not pretend genocide like in Ukraine. Echoing the Department of State's 2021 determination, the report states abundant evidence was found showing Chinese authorities had committed genocide. The justification for the determination hinges on the United Nations definition of genocide, which is satisfied when action against groups prevent births. The report found that many of the most egregious abuses target women and included rape perpetual uh, uh, perpetrated by concentration camp officials and government employees. So, not at all surprised or shocked by any of this, and nor should you be, but very interesting report. It goes into greater detail about the Uyghurs and other oppressed groups in China and some of the stuff that has been uncovered there. And it's not pretty, but I'll put it in the daily show prep for everybody if you wanted to go ahead and read it. And just keep in mind that that is who Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden want to rely on your electric vehicle supply because you can't do the electric vehicle thing without massive massive help from china right now so just throwing that out there in case you are at all interested all right ladies and gentlemen go to rumble.com slash casey the host make sure you hit that subscribe button we do the early show almost every day do it about four times a week and we'll be doing that tomorrow as well early show today controversial apparently go to rumble.com slash casey the host